Welcome to the Super Nintendo Exploration Squad podcast, episode four, a selectbutton.net guide podcast. Our team of brave explorers every week plays one game selected at random from the Super Nintendo library. And afterwards, we discuss it using our five metrics for scoring a video game, gun, vanity, mystery, poetry, and harmony. Uh, along with an occasional mystery category at the end. Uh, I'm your host, Virtual Clint. I'm your co-host, Courier Rice. And we have with us today... Goddamn Milkman. One second before... And Sakarina. Excellent. Uh, this week, we played Tetris 2, uh, which I would describe as the unholy union of Tetris, Dr. Mario, and Fish Tanks. I don't know if you guys, if, if everybody played the versus mode, but there's a lot of fish there. Uh, I did, and that was a, that was a very confusing fish tank setup. Oh my god, it's so confusing. Uh, <laughs> so I only asked everybody to play an hour, but um, I guess what what portions did everybody play? Because there is kind of a lot of meat to this game in terms of different modes. So what was your sort of primary mode that you were playing on this? I uh, let's see. I don't quite remember what the main mode was called, but I played that. The one that it was your pretty standard, uh, just keep on going through the rounds, Tetris stuff. Uh, and I played some of the puzzle mode, and I obviously did not... Well, not obviously, but I didn't get any multiplayer in because I didn't feel like subjecting anyone to this. Um, let's see. Should I say how far in I got? Oh, yeah. Say how far in you got. How far did you get? I, I just hit my microphone. I don't know if anyone could tell. <laughs> That's fine. Um, I, let's see. I finished 10 rounds of the normal playthrough, and I finished four rounds of the puzzle mode. And that, uh, I looked it up on YouTube, and there are 80 rounds of the normal mode and 100 rounds of the puzzle mode. And the puzzle mode, uh, since it probably should be said is a mode where things are set up in a way and you're given like one or increasingly more blocks that you have to fit in perfectly to solve a puzzle. And if you don't do it perfectly, then uh, when the dominoes proverbially begin to fall, then it will like just give you a no go and make you start over. And so I got four out of a hundred of those because they are tricky, and this game does not mess around with you. <laughs> yeah, I played the first uh, four or so of the puzzles as well. Um, there's like a very steep drop off with puzzle mode where it sort of makes sense for four of them, and then all of a sudden it just ramps up considerably. Uh, as I was playing those, I felt like I was playing the witness because I had no idea how it worked. And there seemingly were arbitrary reasons why it was working that I was having a hard time figuring out. Uh, I also kind of did an a la carte selection of everything else in the game, although I only played versus mode against a computer player. But um, every mode is kind of equally bad. I sort of disagree with that. I think that the puzzle mode is sort of the only redeeming facet of the game that there is. Um, if you look at how the game is presented, uh, at a first glance, it looks very similar to Sakura mode in Tetris the Grandmaster or Tetris with Cardcaptor Sakura, which is the game that that mode was based on. And that was similarly to this uh, a level-based Tetris game with individual blocks you had to clear from the play field within a time limit and also with preset uh, pieces. But 
I guess the major difference between uh, Tetris the Cardcaptor Sakura in this game is that this doesn't really play like a normal Tetris game at all, which we should probably explain to the people who are listening who have no idea how this is played. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, okay. So just as, as a primer, and I want to really do a deep dive on, on some of these mechanics, but just it's like you get Tetris pieces, but instead of clearing lines, you match colors. And any three colors in a row, either horizontally or vertically, will clear. Um, that's the, the primary mechanic. What you're doing is you're not just getting Tetris pieces. There's a bunch of little blocks of the three colors, which are blue, yellow, and pink. Um, and you have to clear those to clear a level. It's the same throughout. That's the one thing that stays consistent throughout puzzle and single player and versus is that when you clear all of those blocks, you beat that level essentially. So, um, so yeah, so that's the mechanics of that. There's other weird things to go with that, but before we jump into some gun stuff, uh, one second and milkman, like how much did you play this game? Did you do more puzzle or more like versus like what's your experience with it? I, I played mostly the, what's it, normal mode, not the puzzle mode. I got to puzzle three or four, and they gave you a single block to figure out something, like, spread across the entire bottom, and I couldn't figure out how the heck you're supposed to do that. Like, it didn't seem physically possible, and I tried ten different variations, and they didn't go, and I was like, give me a hint or something? Because I don't understand the mechanics of how this could be possible. But, um... The main game I tended to actually like, I don't know, um, it hit me as similar to Dr. Mario or any of those match three kind of things, but you do have it where random blocks are placed anywhere on the play field and you need to make the blocks float and hit to destroy and match that. And I do feel like you hit the color matching more than you do the Tetris. So I don't know. Uh, That's where I spent most of my time. But I also remember playing this as a kid and generally ignoring it in favor of Kirby's Avalanche, which were the two similar games in my library at the time. I think Kirby's Avalanche is a way better game. I did have that one for the Super Nintendo. Uh, I never had this one as a kid, so this was my first experience with it. Um, As I said, I played a little bit of each mode. Um, One thing that I didn't mention earlier was that I did look up um, the passwords for the later puzzle levels, and I played level 100. (laughs) It is completely incomprehensible. You have like five different pieces that you have to slot into the exact right spot to start a giant chain reaction. So um, I just arbitrarily put down all five of the pieces thinking, how great would it be if by some twist of fate, like I just accidentally set this up and got it working and won the puzzle? Uh, That was not to be. I, for whatever reason, watched a full playthrough of this on YouTube because I hate myself. Um, Though, thankfully, I had it on double speed. But, yeah, it stops being comprehensible way before 100. I would say, or uh, before 80, because that's where the the standard mode stops. Um, It just, like, there's definitely a point a ways into there where it seems like the amount of blocks is identical. And uh, one little note I wanted to say before we got started is that I believe, if my memory is uh, reliable, Tetris 2 is the first game I ever emulated. Oh, wow. Interesting. (laughs) That's unfortunate. (laughs) Isn't it, though? Yeah, so I ended up... Oh, my God. I'm watching Puzzle 100. It doesn't make any sense at all. Um, (laughs) So I ended up playing primarily 
uh, versus mode because my wife had this game as a kid. And actually, the first time I played it was on real Super Nintendo when I w- we were helping her brother move into his apartment and he had the Super Nintendo where we sat down and played Tetris 2. And my first experience with it was actually on a busted TV where the colors in the lower left were all mixed up, so it was basically impossible to play as player one, which was pretty incredible. Uh, <laughs> so we, we ended up playing... I probably played like a good three hours of versus mode over the past couple of weeks. Um, and she just kicks my ass every, every time, <laughs> like totally destroys me. I think I won maybe two or I think, I think I won twice. Like I actually got all three rounds out, but, uh, yeah. So my experience with this was mostly versus, but I did, I actually watched her play some of the puzzle modes and a bit of the single player just to kind of see how it worked and how she was doing it. So, um, so yeah, so that's, that's kind of what I want to want to talk about is a lot of weird versus crap. Um, but I think let's go ahead and move on to gun. So everybody tell me what's Tetris gun. Tell me about Tetris gun. Well, I think, uh, the first thing that's worth pointing out is we mentioned before, that uh, there, when you when you start up a stage, there are marked blocks that you are meant to match up with and make disappear to make them flash away, which is relevant because Tetris 2 in Japan originally was titled Tetris Flash. It makes it sound more like it was a, a spin-off rather than a direct sequel. And, so, and there are... Uh, the blocks, the marked blocks that flash are different than the ones that don't. The other ones are meant as a sort of obstruction. And the, um, a part of the mechanics that, uh, sorry if I'm like jumping right into it here, but the, the part of the mechanics that interested me that I never quite get the hang of is that, um, there are certain tetrominoes, if you will, that are in this that are uh, separated from each other in a way that when it lands, the rest of the parts will break away and continue falling, and you're actually meant to, for later levels, exploit that by like hooking a tetromino onto a piece and then using the rest to fall away and use its smaller size to squeeze into some crevices and like actually get to harder to reach places, which is very, very different than I have ever been used to with uh, uh, the OG Tetris. Yeah, the official terminology for those is hinge tetromino. Um, And what's really interesting about the pieces that fall off is you can continue to control them once they've actually broken off. Um, And that can lead to some very, well, I mean, like all the big frustrating puzzles sort of rely on this mechanic. And it's really unintuitive to actually know that you're supposed to do that in some cases. Yeah. And it, it just adds to the complication of the puzzles because like, like, like you were saying, as you get later in, you're getting like five pieces and having to play those. But then when you really start to break it down, it's like, you're getting a piece that actually contains three separate things sometimes. So it's not one. It's now it's three pieces. You're having to discover where they go and you're having to do it all on the fly. Cause it's not like the puzzle modes in other games where um, it'll stop the piece at the top. Like you, you're just going like it's, it's just, they keep coming. So it's, it's really complicated. The most interesting single piece 
um, is probably is one that has is basically three separate pieces. You've got one square in the upper left, one square in the upper right, and then kind of in the middle and below those is a two square. So what you end up doing a lot of the time is dropping that with the two square facing down, and then you can actually split up those uh, little square pieces. So like if you let it drop a little bit and then push all the way to the right, one of them will stay where it is and the other one will go all the way to the right side of the screen. So you can actually split them up and get like very distant things uh, connected. It's so strange though. Like it's really hard to actually figure out what the hell is going to happen. That's extremely complicated. Yep. And then you try doing that in versus mode where like sometimes you get pieces that are like twice or three times as fast. You're like, Oh my God. (laughs) Yeah. And the way that, um, the way that these pieces fall in the super Nintendo version, I guess, is there only a super Nintendo version? Maybe we should cover that. Did this game come out on anything else? So there is a Famicom version, a super Famicom version and a game boy version, all of which have wildly different box art. Strangely enough. Um, I don't know which of those made it out of Japan, but I know the three of them were released in Japan and yeah, they sort of all share the same mechanics, but have different aesthetics, which is very strange to me. Okay. Yeah. So in this super Nintendo game, the way that the super Nintendo handles the falling pieces feels so bad. And it makes it really hard for me to control the three different pieces that, I mean, the one piece that splits into three, because when it breaks apart, there's this strange delay before you're controlling the pieces that have broken off and they fall down in this kind of, it feels kind of laggy the way it increments down the screen. Drove me nuts. See, I uh, see. I thought that was clever because it gives you a segment where the initial block hits, then there's definitely like a frame pause, and then it allows you to try to maneuver your hanging chads or however you want to look at it. <laughs> and they can fall more where you want to. So it gives you a chance to like control and navigate. And it gives the player more chances, more mastery. It's pretty simple once you get the timing down. It's just you need to take that moment with the game to get there. It's, I don't think I've seen it in any other game, and it's definitely a different kind of thing. I want to say, so we're talking about the dropping, and yeah, you're right. Like, it gives you just a little bit of time to slide the pieces, and then you can break them up and stuff. What I found interesting about the dropping is that the piece will move like a pixel down uh, to represent that it's hitting the ground. But that's not where it's locked. It has to move back up a pixel. Now it's locked, and you can move the separate pieces. I found that very unintuitive. And just in general, this game is so punishing in terms of what you can do as far as moving the pieces. So if you have a piece up against a wall, um, you can't rotate it in most cases. Like, a lot of Tetrises will let you rotate, and it kind of fudges it for you. Not, Nope, not going to happen in this one. Uh, <laughs> like, if the if you drop a, uh, a two into a spot where you should be able to rotate it and pop it into another spot, sometimes you can and sometimes you can't. It depends on which way you're rotating it. I mean, it, the drop mechanics are really hard. Like, you, it's really hard to slide things into certain spots. Like, I found this game to be very punishing and the way that it lets you control the pieces. Anybody else have that experience? Yeah, I think Tetris 2 is such a tragic game design. It's probably what pushed the Tetris company to actually enforce their guidelines strictly because it's kind of nuts. Weirdly enough, I don't think this is where they stopped making weird uh, Tetris spinoffs because uh, the developer, which you can't quite tell from the regular wiki page, I think, was made by Blue Planet Software, um, 
and they, oddly enough, were founded in Honolulu. Um, but more importantly, they appear to have made a whole bunch of the Nintendo Tetrises, including uh, Hatris, some of the Super Tetrises, Tetris, Tetris Party, Plus, S, Stars, the new Tetris, V Tetris, Wild Snake, Weltris, and Wordtris. So they, they clearly didn't see this and think, well, we need to stick to the normal Tetris. So I, I have problems with saying that the... I don't quite know where the ownership of Tetris is because that's a whole history in and of itself. Like it's an international law, but um, the idea that they're strict about how Tetris is being interpreted, I would call BS on. Cause if you look on steam, the only version of Tetris on there is completely negatively reviewed because it doesn't like work and got to that whole Ubisoft schedule of not being able to make Tetris work. I think, though, that they're... Well, Sakurina, you have more expertise on this, so I'm going to let you you talk about it. Well, I I think it's especially a big tragedy because, like, the Ubisoft Tetris was terrible, yes, but at the same time that that was coming out, Puyo Puyo Tetris was sweeping Japan, and it's only, like, this year that the U.S. has gotten it, which is another tragedy uh, because Ubisoft should not be trusted with anything in 2017, let alone a classic like Tetris. Hot take... <laughs> but I mean, going to Puyo Puyo Tetris, I mean, that feels like maybe a more successful version of what this game was attempting to do, because it was trying to bridge those two mechanics in a weird, more Dr. Mario-esque way, whereas I haven't been able to get my hands on Puyo Puyo, uh, but um, that merging of those two, similar but different, the way it looks like the way they're doing in that game looks like a way that lends itself better to what this game was attempting to do, I'd say. Isn't Puyo Puyo Tetris basically just one person playing Tetris and one person playing Puyo Puyo? Depends on the mode. Uh, So there's a swap mode where, like, every 30 seconds you swap back and forth between the game modes and you have separate board states for each of those games. However, the garbage blocks from one will influence maybe another one depending on the situation um but yeah there are so many modes in which uh you can play the game that it's hard to describe them all like some of them you literally play tetris and puyo puyo on the same board state which is crazy um and i'm looking at that now that's ridiculous (laughs) yeah I i would so much rather have played that i would love to learn how that works yeah it's pretty fun although there are some balance issues like the meme in the Puyo Puyo Tetris community is the Tetris player is at a slight disadvantage, which is a phrase that someone used once. And actually, it's not true at all. The Tetris player is like pretty much always going to be superior, which is why the competitive mode of choice is swap mode and not the modes where you can actually choose which game you want to play. Um, when you're playing through the story mode or whatever, you can choose to basically just play... Uh, no, that's wrong. Uh, but there are certain places where you can just choose to play as Tetris the whole time, and then you destroy the CPU because the CPU is playing Puyo and takes more time to build stuff up. It's a great game, by the way. Everybody should buy it. It's pretty decent. I swear to God, I'm getting a Switch so I can play this game. Like, I want it so bad. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I have this. I have this for the Switch, and uh, it's pretty cool, but I have to say the story mode is hot garbage. It's like the worst kind of anime. I hate it. It drives me nuts. The story mode? Puyo Puyo has always been about the story, dude. Yeah. Uh, not in my experience, good sir. <laughs> we should have Marina on to talk about it. Oh, God, yeah. I'm That's really what I was about to say. I was like, let's get ferrets in here. 
<laughs> um, so, okay, Tetris 2. <laughs> I know that we don't want to talk about it because there's so many better games out there. Well, I, think, I, I, ah, I ah, so, I mean, like, okay, if you look at Puyo Puyo Tetris, I don't think, like, there's any, like, hardware reasons why Super Nintendo couldn't run that game, right? But... I mean, maybe there's some weird stuff in the background, but mechanically it feels like that's something you play. But, like, the idea of game development going through, like, I don't think without Tetris 2 we end up there. Like, Tetris 2 may not be the greatest game, but it was playing with something different at the time. And I remember it being pretty interesting. I mean, admittedly, it's similar to other games, but it did have its own flavor and it did have some unique takes. And... I think it was successful to a certain way, but it is much harder than many of those games for some, some odd choices, what would seem like flaws now, but I don't think the mindset was there for it yet to be considered a failure when it came out. Well, the game gives you twice as many ways to screw yourself over. Like, that's pretty much why it's so hard. In a normal Tetris game, you basically only have to whether uh, you only have to care about whether the tetromino you actually put down is preventing a line clear or not but in this game you actually have to think about the positioning of your tetromino and the colors that are there because you can also screw yourself purely on the colors and not on anything else and it just becomes so easy to screw yourself over because of one little mistake and like i think the normal mode in particular is such a disaster because it's super easy to stay alive in that mode, but beyond a certain point, uh, you're just going to draw out your in inevitable death because like, you're just keeping yourself alive, but you're not actually doing anything to progress, unburying uh, the pieces that you actually have to clear to beat the level. So I, I just think it's weird because the language you're using sounds like the language anybody would use to describe a really awesome action game. But when you're turning it to a puzzle game, you're turning it into a negative. And I just think, like, that's such a weird taste barrier to hit. Well, I think that, like, okay, so my wife really likes this game. And I, I was trying really hard to understand it because I don't. I think this is really bad. But <laughs> I've seen her play it, and she's... Like, she's a lot more thoughtful and patient with the game than I am. Um, and there are times when it's like, oh, I made a mistake. Just screw it. I'm just going to, like, you know, smash it and, and start over or something. But she's for the most part, she's really patient about if a mistake is made, you know, correct it. I mean, she's really good at the game, too. Like, I saw her beating, like, the normal mode level 20 or something, and it took a solid, like, five minutes. But she got there. Um, so... I think that maybe that's the difference is that I'm really not very patient with these sorts of games, which is a recurring theme, I think. Um, but I'm just not so patient with them. And, and I don't like seeing like, oops, I made one mistake and now it's going to take me two minutes to unbury myself from that. Like kill me. Um, but I think with a little bit more uh, patience, with a little bit more um, care, that this game becomes a lot more interesting. I'll also say that, yeah, it is definitely different from anything else I've ever played. Like it, I guess the fact that it, that most puzzle games focus on clearing things with speed and that's how you, you know, you, you, you do well, um, speed and accuracy. And this game focuses almost entirely on accuracy. It's like, you have to get it just right. The combos are really hard to get. And it focuses a lot on making sure you don't make mistakes. The biggest skill that you can have is knowing what you can do that won't cause you problems down the line. So you're planning way farther ahead than 
the next two pieces or something like that. So it's interesting. I will say that I feel like if it had been a little smoother, a little easier to lay pieces down, a little less, little, frankly, fewer mechanics as well. I think that it could have been good. Um, yeah, I agree about uh, fewer mechanics. And there was one mechanic that I found completely obscure, and I just still don't understand it that I wanted to bring up. And that is, uh, much like in Dr. Mario, there are these uh, squares uh, placed throughout the board that are of the same colors as your different tetrominoes. And uh, one goal is to uh, destroy those squares by matching them with the appropriate colors. But I found that sometimes I would destroy one square and then like two other squares halfway across the board would destroy themselves uh, that weren't even touching the square I destroyed. And I like it was seemingly arbitrary, like it would destroy one on the right side, but not one on the left side or destroy one above me, but not one below me. I could not figure out why any given square just like uh, vacated itself. So there are certain squares that occasionally flash. They have a little sparkle on them. And they do different things in different modes. But in the single player, when you clear a yellow or a blue or a pink, but let's say you clear a yellow flashing block, it clears every other yellow square. Not your tetrominoes, but just all of those squares get cleared. Um, which actually brings up an interesting point because... Oh, there's my ringtone. Um, brings up an interesting point because the single player ends up being a race to get to those flashing pieces, which are always at the very bottom row. So I, when I was watching my wife play this, she, instead of focusing on clearing it line by line and, you know, very readily going down, like the way that you think about Tetris, she focused on creating a path to the bottom and then she would clear those. And so that became the goal was not to clear everything. It was to clear just a straight line down and then, get those uh, flashing pieces. So, but yeah, I didn't understand that when I first played this, probably for like the first eight rounds. I'm like, why do they keep clearing? Like, it doesn't make any sense. Made sense to me. <laughs> yeah, everything makes sense to you. <laughs> no, this actually, uh, in the other podcasts, I like to be like, yeah, I'm the good video game player, but this game was uh, above and beyond my uh, ability to cotton. Going back to what you said about um, needing to be methodical and accurate to actually play this game, like I think a lot of the issues with this game are because it has the name Tetris and not necessarily because it's a bad game. Um, if you were to ask me to describe the gun of Tetris 1, um, I would probably have to say hard drops. Uh, and I know that not all original Tetris versions have hard drops, but that, like that's the way I play. If a Tetris game doesn't have a satisfying hard drop and especially a satisfying hard drop sound, I won't play it. Um, and that's just how I play Tetris. I hard drop everything all the time and I don't really have any way to hard drop in this game. And in fact, it would sort of screw me over if I could hard drop in this game. And the pace is so not what I expect from a Tetris game that it just ends up being frustrating to me. That makes sense. Uh, with a hard drop, you can make your decision and then quickly move to the next thing without having to wait. Whereas here, um, it's not super fast. And even if it was, you have the the hinge tetrominoes, and so you it would just yeah, it would just complicate things excessively. I don't know if anyone noticed this, but I think if you spend a really long time on a single level in normal mode, they accelerate the speed at which the pieces fall gradually through the length of the level. Um, and I somehow wound up going from speed four to speed 11 in the same level. 
Does anyone know what's going on with that? I did not experience that, but that sounds absolutely insane. Yeah, that's ridiculous. That's ridiculous. Like, okay, let's... Okay, God, there's so many things I want to talk about this game. I, I thought this was going to be a hard podcast, but uh, I have a lot to say. Um, let's talk about the opacity of some of these mechanics. That's a good one. I didn't realize that the speed increased. Um, when you're playing single player, your score is not shown. Your score is not shown until the end of the level. Why would they do that? Like... <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what's getting me more points. Does dropping give you points? Most Tetris games, that's true. I don't fucking know. Um, sometimes in the single-player levels, you get a bonus where it clears one or two or three blocks on the next level. Why do you get that? Nobody knows. I don't know. <laughs> like, there's so many weird things in this game. The The one that really kills me, though, is... So in versus mode, it's all about clearing those blocks, right? And if you get a combo then you send a fast block to the other person. Okay, that makes sense. That's easy. The flashing blocks also exist as well, but they don't do the same thing. They don't clear all of the blocks of the same color. Instead, what they do is when you clear a flashing block, it lowers the water level in the fish tank of the other person and increases your water level back to normal, which, why is it in a fish tank? Whatever. But what that does is the lower the water level is, the lower the pieces start. And it, and it doesn't ever really end up mattering because it goes down like by one or two squares or something. I mean, if you get two flashing blocks. But as soon as the other person clears a flashing block, it goes back up to the top. And it's like it just like goes it's almost always at the top. Why even include that mechanic? Like, oh, this, this it drives me up the wall, these weird, opaque mechanics. I kind of like the concept of a, a mode where the, the dropping line lessens, because normally it's uh, it's usually, like, the limit on how high you can go usually drops, but they don't lower it from the top. Like, okay, welcome to the Tetris podcast, where only Sakarina really knows how Tetris works. But, um, like, I like that in theory, but I have no idea how wise it is in execution. Uh, what, I, what still confuses me is where the fish are coming from when you win a, a round in that. But that's kind of a that's a mystery topic, isn't it? Yeah, I think so. <laughs> if I had to describe this game in uh, like one phrase, I would probably call it Akitoshi Koazu's Tetris. Uh, and with all due respect to Koazu, um, because it's so arcane and makes no sense that it made me think of his games, although his games tend to be much better than this one. Could you give a quick explanation as to who that is for the listeners? Oh, yeah. Uh, he's responsible for the Saga series, uh, which is a series of arcane handheld RPGs by Square Enix. There we go. Yep, I was, I was, I had to look him up myself. <laughs> he's also the supervisor on one of my favorite uh, SNES RPGs, uh, Rudra no Hiho. Oh, God. Anyway, Treasure of the Rudras is how I know it. <laughs> it's a, it's great because you get to make your own spells by typing in words, and different words do different things. It's fantastic. You know, I was I didn't know that he was partially responsible for that, but it makes absolutely perfect sense given that game's really weird spell crafting system. But yeah, okay. Um, what other gun stuff do we want to talk about? Um, anybody? Um, that's really all I had for gun. But I gotta say that this the gun of this game is leveled squarely at the player. I felt like I had a gun trained on me while I was playing this game. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's about right. <laughs> it's it's just always waiting for you to fuck up. And then it's like, you're dead now. You know, just like, 
you got to do it right. You got to do it right. No, <laughs> and it's just it, it feels very torturous. It feels like it's reveling in your failures. A couple of months ago, one of my friends was streaming Massacre games uh, on Twitch, and I realized that part of what makes those game work games work is that they have a very quick retry loop. And I think that's what I like about puzzle mode is that while I would not necessarily describe, uh, well, I guess it technically is, uh, Tetris 2 as a Massocore puzzle game, uh, you do get immediate feedback on whether or not you actually got the puzzle and can retry immediately. Whereas, like I said earlier, in normal mode, you are just screwing yourself for five minutes only to die like 10 minutes later. Um, so I think that's what makes puzzle mode work. Another thing is I believe that uh, Bulletproof software, uh, which I guess is now known as Blue Planet, which is what uh, Courier said earlier, uh, they also worked on some Dr. Tetra, uh, Dr. Mario games, which would make sense because this is sort of Dr. Mario. Yeah, I, uh, I wrote in the chat the other day, I guess you could call this my uh, action button one-line review of this game. I said, it's a partially digested Dr. Mario hacked from the throat of a greasy stray cat. <laughs> my tagline for this would be heal thyself dr mario <laughs> i have my tagline is just somebody kill me <laughs> but otherwise that's about what i had for gun okay well i'm comfortable moving on that's our fastest gun category in a while yeah i yeah i guess it is it's weird because this game's very gun but uh i think we kind of blasted through it i mean i guess just because there's not like for me i don't have anything very positive to say like oh i wish this game had more you know like i wish this game had more tetris 2 in it i wish i'm glad most games don't have tetris 2 you know (laughs) um but yeah okay so let's move on to vanity and uh vanity of course being whatever you think it should be but we've typically been like you know what does it look like what does it sound like but does it also make you feel vain um it makes me feel like the creators were vain because what hubris to name your game tetris 2 and i feel that this does not uh earn that title at all i think alexi pagetnov if that's how it's pronounced the creative tetris may have been uh, responsible for this they like it seems like a lot of the Tetris spin-offs like uh, uh, Snicktris and some others, I can't quite remember their names that he and Hatris. He was responsible for coming up with those and they all were kind of terrible and unmemorable. But so it may be his own fault. Or perhaps the publishers were insistent on him attaching the Tetris name because the money. Yeah, it feels like it feels like Tetris Attack in that way, and that it, it, more so though. It's got its weird thing because you. I think it was yeah. Sakurina mentioned that if this wasn't a Tetris game, it would be viewed differently. But I also think if it wasn't a Tetris game, it wouldn't have Tetrominoes, which may solve like half the problems. Like, but then it would just be Doctor Mario. But whatever. Like you could get away from that feeling of it has to be Tetris. Uh, for it to work. So, yeah, there's there's a certain interesting vanity there in deciding that your game is worthy of the Tetris name and or deciding that this, like, way to change up Tetris is a, at all a worthwhile successor to Tetris. <laughs> Something I wanted to mention with Vanity, this was basically everything I wanted to say, is that this game is ugly as fuck. This game 
Yeah. Oh, fuck, Super yeah. kitschy, like deliberately kitschy. It looks like it came out of the, the Sunday funny comics. So like the background, it looks like a very suspiciously decorated house. Uh, sometimes the score is kept in a fridge. I'd, I'd love to describe the puzzle mode background to the audience. Um, it's a dining room table with a plate of French fries and tri- chicken drumsticks, a plate of peas, and there are big windows with a view out onto a forest with an orange tree, a fir tree, two dinosaurs, one of which is grinning straight at the player. And the Tetris playfield is inside a giant foaming beer mug with the upcoming pieces surrounded by bubbles and foam. This is art. <laughs> oh, yeah. God. Also, the uh, there are curtains in the room, and the curtains seem to be made of cellophane. Like, they're completely transparent plastic. It's very weird. The, uh, the, the, eventually the backgrounds start to branch out into like different places, like a circus or a, a city street and stuff. But the most of it in the beginning that I expect most players are going to be seeing tends to take place in this house with this family that shows up in, in between every five rounds to do a little, not very funny skit. Once again, something that seems like it comes out of a Sunday funnies. Um, and the family seems to be a young boy, a young girl and two men. So, the congratulations, Nintendo, for the first gay uh, couple and family in video games. Yeah, I was going to mention that because, well, they're so weirdly drawn to my, because we were watching these little, my wife and I were watching these little cutscenes, and she's like, oh, yeah, those are the adults. I'm like, they look like children in ties, and it's so strange. Can I, can I describe the, uh, the normal mode background since we're doing that? Please sure. Do. So the normal mode background is some weird combination between a living room, a bedroom, and a kitchen, because you've got a refrigerator, you've got a picture, a portrait, you've got uh, all of the, cu- the a cupboard with all of the silverware and diningware and stuff. But then the Tetris playing field is actually, appears to be a mirror, like one of those mirrors that you can flip around, like a, a standing mirror. And then on the background, in right in the middle are a bunch of posters, including my two favorite graphics in this game, a poster that says boy with a picture, just the face of a young boy, and a picture that says girl with a picture of a young girl. Like, what the crap? And there's also, like, a Marilyn Monroe-looking, like, headshot on the left side. It makes no sense. And a framed uh, portrait of a toucan. Um, and I noticed that with the boy and girl thing, they have the exact same face, like exact same pixels. And uh, the girl just has two pigtails stuck onto the boy's face. So I enjoyed that. <laughs> That's the real difference in gender. Maybe the house belongs to aliens, which came to Earth and are studying boys and girls to figure out how humans work and also have invented their own variant of Tetris to torture humans with. Yeah, they're also studying the third gender, the toucan. <laughs> and the fourth gender, Tetris. <sighs> also, I don't know if it was quite apparent to people, but the longer I spent with the normal mode, the more I realized that the three uh, colors for the blocks were a sort of saturated version of a pencil, a sort of yellow, a very dark silver, and a pink for the rubber uh, eraser on the end. It and the more I saw that, along with all these kitschy backgrounds and stuff, the more I just hated it. I was like, don't look, don't make me look at this stupid little thing that you thought was clever when it's really not. This game is a game that your grandmother would clip out of the newspaper and frame on the wall. <laughs> also, like, everything seems dirty in this game, like a little bit, or like a little bit greasy or slimy. And, uh,. That's kind of an 80s aesthetic, right? Like this 80s neon, everything's weirdly dirty kind of aesthetic. Like, I feel like I've seen this before. 
And uh, it's kind of like a little bit psychedelic in that way even, but in like the grossest, ugliest way. It's almost a sort of classy supo aesthetic, you know, like with the Rugrats and Duckman and stuff like that. Oh, yeah. yeah. That's a good call. It is. It feels derivative of that almost. I really hate the piece colors because they're, they're just like these pastel pink, yellow, and blue things. That, they're god-awful. I did, Fuck I did this game! <laughs> <laughs> okay, so the music. This game actually has a fair amount of music. I want to say it has 12 separate tracks. Were any of them good? No. Not really. I mean, they weren't bad either. They were just serviceable. I don't even remember any of them. They're bad. I mean, there's there's these plinky little things, and like, I don't know. The instrumentation's really bad, but they also have like deviously catchy melodies. At least for me, like, there's one versus song. I think it's C. I'll play it now. So listen, listen to this horrible music. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's it's got this catchy repetitive melody that it just doesn't oh god i can't even describe how much i hate it because i listened i ended up listening to it a lot again my wife likes this game i have a hard time understanding it i think if you're going to make a puzzle game where you choose the track you're going to listen to for the entire game up front it needs to be really good like dr mario nailed it um tetris nailed it tetris 2 pretty off the mark yeah, definitely. Um, I realized something when I was playing this game. Like, this game actually taught me something about myself. And it taught me that if I'm going to take the time to get into a puzzle game and spend a lot of time playing it, it really matters to me what it looks and sounds like. I mean, in a way that I didn't expect. I mean, a game could be a great puzzle game, but if it looks like ass, I am not going to get into it. And it made me reflect on, I recently picked up Tetris versus Puyo Puyo, which we were talking about earlier, for the Switch, and I was all excited to try it out. And, uh, you know, I might get some flack for this, but uh, the anime look and sound, well, not sound, but the anime look of it just drives me nuts, and I find myself not wanting to play it because it looks like, I mean, I have no problem with good anime, but this is like, you know, scraping the bottom of the barrel, cliche, you know, uh, bargain bin type anime, I don't know. So, like, Puzzle games in general, to me, need to look stylish. Yeah, it's funny because I sort of have the opposite opinion. I only really started liking Puyo Puyo games or playing them once they had the move over to Fever and they started adopting that like heavy anime aesthetic. And I understand that people, well, a lot of people prefer the older style, uh, but it just wasn't for me. And uh, now I have a lot more games I can play. Yeah, I think I actually prefer the, the the cutesy style that they've got going now. I think it has a lot of energy to it, but different strokes. Yeah, the, the funny thing is I actually um, was looking through the Super Nintendo catalog, and, we're, and uh, my wife and I ended up playing Puyo Puyo 2 on the Super Nintendo quite a bit as well, along with this, because I'm like, I need a fucking break from this game. <laughs> Uh-oh, we lost Milkman. He's gone. Something I wanted to mention real quick, since I'm not sure where else I'm going to fit this in, is that uh, the Famicom version of this game is cuter. And that's partially because I have just uh, a very strong motherly love for the Famicom, the NES, as it was also called, just because we obviously have audience that don't know the difference. (laughs) But, um, yeah, so with the Famicom version, (laughs) uh, the backgrounds were simpler. Uh, 
the main background, I believe, was just a solid orange with drawings of the Nas cupboard. You know, the Nas cupboard, the, uh, the, the like, the very, very large drawing in, like, a field or in Desert Sands. I can't quite remember where that you can only see from, like, really high up. And you see it a lot in old video games. Um, uh, Clint, if you would look that up and... I guess not show it to the people listening because it doesn't matter. But either way, it's a mysterious symbol. Video games liked it for a while, they, just for aesthetic reasons. It shows up here. It's a lot better than these very kitschy backgrounds that are in the Super Nintendo version. And it's less distracting, I think. And the Famicom version also has an ending scene after 10 levels. It's only 10 levels long in the Famicom version where you get to watch a shooting star in the night sky um, shooting off before the camera pans down to a desert. And it has like a nice little song that I can't actually remember off the top of my head, but it's just, it's a lot closer to my aesthetic. It's a lot closer to something that I can appreciate than anything that this particular version was going for. Yeah, I agree. I looked up a YouTube video of the uh, NES version, and I did vastly prefer the aesthetic of that game. I actually kind of liked it. It's not amazing or anything, but it has this really interesting, like, this vibe like you're at some kind of, like, lounge in the in the southwest U.S. Like, you're in some New Mexico lounge, and there's, like, Nazca lines drawn on the walls, and you're, like, it's dark or dimly lit. There's smoke there, and these pieces are all muted, and they look like dirty pool table uh, balls, you know? Like, uh, I was into it. Yeah, there it is. Uh, Clint posted it in the chat. That's Yeah, yeah just... Just Google Tetris 2 NES, and this is, like, the third image. But, yeah, it's, it's really nice. It has a repeating Nazca line pattern and the pieces are a lot it's green yellow and red and like because it's the nes they're a lot more saturated and not nearly as pastel it's nice and what the hell was with nazca lines in video games by the way because i know it was in act razor it was in god there was a bunch of things with that it was like really bizarre i think the japanese just kind of tend to like weird mysterious things from other cultures in the same way that uh in the 80s i believe they had like a whole thing for esper's psychic people and that's mostly because i think we had our uh there was like a history of our psychics like losing the popularity here and going over there to exploit people (laughs) that sounds about right (laughs) yeah you see like uh it's the same thing as the um like moai heads that you always see in old video games and uh like the Easter or Stonehenge, you know, stuff like that like i think in the 90s there was a big affection in japan for uh that kind of like ancient history stuff with like kind of supernatural overtones, I guess. Yeah, I kind of like it. While we're on the topic of other versions of this game, the Game Boy version sort of is disappointing because of course it's in black and white and therefore it's even harder to tell what the colors are. Um, Not great. Yeah, I remember hearing you uh, talk about uh, handheld versions of color matching games on your Wonderstone channel. And you were, especially most recent, you were talking about uh, Puzzle Bobble, and even that was, like, the easier to see, but it seems like ones with Puyo Puyo and with and uh, other games like that, and, like, this one, um, it just really, really gets in the way. Nice plug. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it, yeah, the Game Boy version looks bad <laughs> i mean i it's it is really hard to tell the difference because you've got white you've got what i would describe as 
mottled gray. What's the term for when you use patterns to shade things? Uh, dithering. Dithering, dithered gray, and then you've got black. And it's just not... I can't imagine playing that on the original blurry brick. Um, it'd be real hard. <laughs> like, I know that that dithering effect was made to actually blur together and appear gray on the old brick, but... Yeah, I don't know. I still think this would probably be miserable to play. I mean, it's already miserable to play. Let's not add confusion into the mix. <laughs> I think I think Milkman might have left because we were uh, dunking on his game, and he's like, I'm out of here. <laughs> I love Tetris too. Shut up. <laughs> Sorry, Milkman. <laughs> um, okay, what else do we have to talk about with Vanity? I mean, the music is bad. The, I mean, not like okay. Let's let's. Tetris has historically very good music, and I don't think any Tetris game has really recreated the magic of really just the first amazing song in Tetris. Like the rest of them are even slightly forgettable. Um, so you know, I get that Tetris is not going to have as good a music as Tetris, but they have twelve songs. At, I think it's twelve, and it's just too much. It feels like if they had maybe picked one good song for each and really focused on getting one or two good songs instead of like producing so much garbage music, maybe that would have been good. It makes me wonder what the development cycle was like. Was this something that was rushed out as a port of the NES version? Like did people have to throw together garbage to make it work? Does that explain the kitschy aesthetic because it's easy? Like, I don't know. I sincerely struggle to think they gave a shit while making this because of the the lazy skits, the lazy aesthetic, the the kitschy aesthetic, the bad mechanics, just everything. I feel like they were like, eh, we need money, let's make a fucking Tetris adjacent game. I'm going to take offense to you saying that there weren't really any games that lived up to the original Tetris uh, music-wise. Tetris the, the Grand Master is basically a Ridge Racer soundtrack on a Tetris game. I mean, that sounds good. I, <laughs> this is coming from never having played or really watched anybody play it. I'll take your word for it, for sure. I would highly recommend it. It is actually super effective to getting you pumped in the arcade when you're playing it. Yeah, I would say uh, give a at least give a watch of the Grandmaster speedruns that were done for uh, Summer Games Done Quick just recently, because they're some really, really uh, interesting and intense uh, late-game, high-level play that is just an entirely different situation than whatever we were doing here with Tetris, whatever any, like, run-of-the-mill player is going to be doing with Tetris. And uh, aesthetically, I remember with the Grandmaster, I believe they... And correct me if I'm wrong, because I don't quite know a lot of the the history of the Tetris games, but... It seemed like with Grandmaster, they added in an extra difficulty mode uh, after Hardest was mastered, after Master was Shirase. And I am not super sure on my conjugation, but I believe that's the uh, causative term of to know, which is, I think, to let someone know. And so something about that seems, I like the poetry of that. We're not quite a poetry, but uh, there it is. <laughs> poetry on an entirely different game. <laughs> uh, yeah, there there are so many hard modes in TGM that are sort of like the end game modes, that but they're all different from version to version. Um, I think Shirase is the top one for one of the three games, but I couldn't name which one it is. And uh, I mean, I, I do know Japanese, but I'm not familiar enough with 
that word to actually tell you like, yes, it does mean what you said it is, but there's also maybe another meeting that I'm not aware of. And coincidentally, Arika, who makes CGM, also is making a new fighting layer game, uh, which was just shown at Evo, and there's a character named Shirase, so all the Tetris nerds are making dumb fa- fighting game jokes. Oh, that's funny. Love it. Are we going to move on to mystery? <laughs> yeah, let's move on to mystery. <laughs> I think this might be a short topic. Um, but yeah, let's talk about mystery. What was mysterious about this game? I'd like to start and say, why the hell are we playing Tetris in a beer mug? Another mystery is what drugs were on when they made the cutscenes for this game. Yeah, let's talk about those cutscenes. They're they're weird. Uh, the one that I remember was the two adult men, who we're assuming are a couple, which I'm happy with, um, go on stage and do a magic trick. And the tall one pulls a dove out of his hat. Wow, magic. The short one tries, and it doesn't work. And so he turns around, and then he puts the hat on, and then his face becomes a dove's head. He has a dove's Whoa. head now. <laughs> and it's really Whoa. fucking weird. I, I wish I had was... seen the cutscenes. Wow. That's like the only skit that I think is genuinely amusing at all, and the rest are all just very uh, bargain bin Looney Tunes kind of quality. Where it's like, like the execution is just kind of boring, but I also may have nostalgia for when I grew up watching uh family members play Yoshi's Cookie and it had skits that were just cuter to me, partially because it's NES, partially because it had Mario and Yoshi but but I mean I should like some of these skits because they're they're kind they're dumb in an interesting way like there's one where they jump on a uh, a trampoline and it loses its bouncing properties its elastic properties, there's another one where they bounce on the trampoline and accidentally hook their pants on the moon there's one where there, like, there's there's stuff that is genuinely tried and boring. Like, uh, I believe the young boy lays out a a trap hole in in the woods and puts a tarp of some sort over it. And the sister walks by it and doesn't fall in. And he's like, "What?" And he lifts it up and it's not there. And so he throws it aside and walks over it. And there's a new hole under it. And it's like, yeah, I've seen this. I've seen I've seen the bunny and the duck do this thing. And I, I think too that that might be recycled because. One of the, the the one that I saw was exactly that, except instead of lifting it up and finding that there's no hole, he just steps on it and falls in. So I feel like they're even recycling their own cutscenes. Which, I mean, if 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 normal mode goes to level eighty, I guess you you might start doing that. <laughs> so I didn't see any of these cutscenes, and I didn't even know they were there because I didn't get far enough. But the way you guys are describing them makes them sound like Katamari Damacy cutscenes with the family. Not even close to that funny. Like, no. there, there is no I feel the cosmos here. Darn. Yeah, if it, were, if it were more surreal, it would have a little bit more interest to it, but it is, like, bargain bin Looney Tunes garbage <laughs> for the most part. That Dovehead thing one, though, I can't stop thinking about the idea <laughs> that, they, that he really made, he, like, one, one person did a shit magic trick. Everybody can make a dove come out of a hat. You put the dove in the hat, done. But not everybody can do the real magic it takes to dirt your own face into a dove head. I, that's some fly shit right there, you know? Like, I think it's very brave that a man was able to publicly, on stage, reveal his fursona to people. And I think he should just appreciate that. <laughs> it's not a fursona if you actually have the, the the face and meat and bones of an animal on your head. That's that's a little bit more than a fursona at that point. 
Is it still a fursona if you have feathers? That's that's a whole other debate. Please visit our furry thread on the selectbutton.net forums. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. Okay. Uh, what other? Uh, what did I write down for mystery? Why are we in a fish tank? The 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 versus mode is in a fish tank, and when you win, you get a fish, and when you lose, uh, all three rounds, your water is drained, and your fish dies. Presumably, your fish dies. Um, so that's weird. Is it like a modest uh, residential fish tank, or is it like an aquarium? Because I'm a big fan of aquarium levels in video games. It is a modest... It's not even really... It's like a glass. It's like that if you sucks. took a big glass and put water in a fish in it. <laughs> and a bunch of Tetris pieces. Yeah, it is not a well-drawn aquarium. It, it You can really barely tell it's an aquarium until you really look at it. You already know until the, uh, you win around and a fish comes out of the mysterious blacked out centerpiece that I don't know any aquariums that work like that where they have like a, a medium section that can be separated from the water where the fish stay in there and then go out to the sides like what? What's it? Yo, I'm going to go to the Boston Aquarium this weekend. I'm going to go and there's going to be that big aquarium in the center of the whole place. And it's just going to have Tetris pieces falling down the middle of it around the fish. And it's going to be great. <laughs> nice. And that terrible music's going to play. Dun, 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 dun. <laughs> I genuinely don't know if that's one of the songs in the game. I'm just trusting you. Dun, 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 dun. It's terrible. Um, <laughs> uh, let's see. Why... Why did the, the refrigerator and cabinets open to reveal the score? What's going on there? Why are they hiding the score in the cabinets? Like, I just don't understand what they were thinking. Fresh. fresh and crispy. Put it in the crisper drawer. Uh, eat that crispy score. No. <laughs> they should have at least, like, put the score as fridge mag- magnets or something. Yeah. That'd be, cute. That'd be actually, that, that might take effort, but it would be a lot cuter. I got really excited about that because I'm like, anything to improve this aesthetic, please. I think that a lot of the backgrounds in this would make really good Micro Machines tracks. Yeah. I could see that. I could see that. Um, yeah. A tiny mystery, which isn't quite mystery so much as vanity, but let's ignore that, is why not redraw the backgrounds? Because uh, the backgrounds, there are several of them where you'll see either a truck or a ball that a clown is standing on that has the word flash on it. And it's like, you didn't. You changed the name of the game when you brought it to the States. Why not just change that? People who are actually good at the game, which I'm sure counted for less than 10% of the people who play this game, uh, probably were like, what's up with Flash? What's this about? Yeah, it's, uh, it's a weird little detail. Clearly, again, just like dumped out. Like, There's so little text in this game that they're like, ah, fuck it. <laughs> you know? <laughs> Before we move on, I feel like we could also just dump all of Gun into Mystery because that's pretty much what it was. <laughs> that's actually a pretty fair point. Yeah, that's a really, that's really, yep, that's pretty much what it was. <laughs> okay. Okay, well, I think then we've exhausted Mystery. Unless uh, Sakarina has anything to say since they were suggesting dumping the rest of Gun into it. No, uh, I'm ready to move on to the next thing. Okay, it was the gesture. The gesture is good. <laughs> So, let's see. Uh, I'm looking at my list, and the next thing is Mahjong Minute. Hell yeah! Hello. What a surprise!
Uh, okay, so what did we play for? I have to pull up my script. What, can somebody else read this? Because I'm sick of butchering Japanese. Can somebody tell me、sure. how to pronounce this? Yeah, it's Mahjong Sengoku Monogatari. Perfect. That's what we played. And、uh, seemingly, it's a game about warring Chinese states playing Mahjong for people's lives and money. That's what I got. Japanese. Oh, is it Japanese? Shit. I thought it was China. Well, this is.、Uh, I realized as soon as I started playing it, but I should have known as soon as I looked at the title. Sengoku Monogatari is.、Um, that's Romance of the Three Kingdoms. So. No, that's Sengoku Shi.、Ah, okay. You, ha- you take over. I apologize. Sorry.、Uh, yeah, so this game was published by Yojigen, which means fourth dimension in Japanese, and they primarily released Mahjong games on high school soccer sims. I didn't know high school soccer sims were a thing, but apparently.、Um, <laughs> That sounds kind of fun. <laughs> I guess. It's、uh, not. I'm not, <laughs> I'm not a big fan of soccer, so I couldn't say. Uh, there are three modes. There's a story mode, a free battle mode, and a tournament mode. And in the story mode, you get to, well,、uh, technically in all modes, you get to choose which of your favorite feudal lords of Japan you wish to be. So, of course, naturally, I chose Toyotomi Hideyoshi because he's the best.、Um, and the entire premise of this game is what if feudal Japan was fought via Mahjong instead of through actual war?、Um, the game features absolutely beautiful character sprites of all the feudal lords and all that stuff.、Uh, And it is particularly bad for beginners, which means I am very curious to hear what you guys have to say about it, because this game presumes an understanding of the rules of Mahjong, like more so than other digital Mahjong games, because most digital Mahjong games will notify you when an action is possible on a certain tile, whereas this one expects you to know the legality of everything you can do and to call it out when appropriate, which is probably not very often for you guys. Oh,、uh, I beat it. It was easy. <laughs> I didn't even beat it. No, I, I had no idea what I was doing. I was, See, I was like, pushing the buttons、oh. again, and I was like, I, I know that Richie is a thing. I know that Pawn is a thing. I know that Khan is a thing. What do these buttons do? I thought I would figure out how to do the,、uh, the trios of like, putting the blocks together, but I, I was once again completely lost. Yeah, I was, I was as well. The character art is gorgeous, it's really good looking. Um, I thought I had a good hand. Like, I'm trying to learn how to play Mahjong for real in five minute chunks every two weeks, which is definitely the best way to learn something. And I'm pretty sure I had a good hand, but I couldn't figure out how to say, like, oh, I have this or that. Like, you have to declare it. And I couldn't figure out how to do that in the menus. I did keep hitting a button in the menus that caused a cutscene to happen that looked kind of like Final Fantasy. Were these little characters running around and talking? I was completely lost. I never saw that. So I wish I saw that. It was weird. I'll put a screenshot in if I can find it. But、um, the other thing that is interesting about this game is that it's only 1v1, no multiplayer at all either. So it's just versus a computer. So it's really just a campaign, which I thought was. Sort of bizarre. <laughs> yeah, it's actually pretty bizarre for Mahjong games to be two player,、uh, aside from like strip Mahjong games, which are pretty much always two players.、Um, one of the, oh wow, that is actually a really cool、uh, thing you found there. Those are some very cute sprites. Yeah, it's not what I would expect from a Mahjong game, that's for sure.、Um, But yeah, so the most common rule sets for Mahjong tend to be three players and four players.、Uh, the interesting thing about the Super Nintendo, where it fits into the lineage of Mahjong game history, is that 
basically around the 32-bit era, there was a big migration towards a different kind of user interface in Mahjong games. And this game, because it only has two players, could actually use the 240p resolution of the Super Nintendo to present that UI before it was commonplace. Uh, and that is to basically recreate uh, the experience of what it's like to play at a Mahjong table. Uh, if you're playing a four-player game on Super Nintendo, you couldn't really fit all of the tiles on screen and keep them readable at the resolution that the that the console could render at. Um, so it's really neat to see like this game get away with doing it because they only have two players. But that, I mean, it's it's very UI pedantic nerd uh, of me to be talking about this because most people don't really care. I mean, literally, if you weren't on here, this would have been a five-second segment, and we would have been like, I don't know. So, officially, all of our other Mahjong and his segments are going to be trash compared to this one. Yep, that's true. Uh, so, I forgot to play this game, but uh, just now I was playing it in an emulator while you guys were talking, and... Uh, this is my first exposure to Mahjong, so I have no idea what I'm doing, but it kind of makes me want to learn to play Mahjong because those pieces are beautiful. And uh, the look of this game is great, actually. Like, I love these character designs. It's nice. Nicer than I expected from a Mahjong game. It looks really good for the Super Nintendo standard at the time. Yeah, I thought we had peaked early with the first game we played with the four-breasted demon and everything. Um, but I think, you know, if this is a sign of things to come, which it sounds like it's not... Um, then good job. Uh, good job. We got more to come. Um, I, I also want to mention that there was definitely a guy in a big yellow hat and I don't know what that represents, but it was definitely three times the size of his head. So pretty incredible, but okay. Well, there we go. Thank you for the, uh, the insight Sakarina. That makes this a much more interesting Mahjong minute. Um, but sure. I, think, I think we'll end it now. Uh, <laughs> okay. So Mahjong minutes over. Let's get back to Tetris 2. Let's talk about poetry. The poetry of pieces in motion and children jumping on trampolines and losing their pants or whatever. Um, what poetry did everybody find? Oh, finally, I've been waiting for this. Uh, can I share the excerpt from the FAQ of Tetris 2 that I found? It might take a minute, but I think it's worth it. Yeah, absolutely. Fire away. Yeah, just All as right. a little clarification, it's from game FAQs, right? Like, you just Google, like found it there? Right. So I was trying to figure out how this game works and how the mechanics work. And so I thought I would go and look at an FAQ on game FAQs. So... There were only two. Uh, one of them was like two paragraphs long. Uh, the other one was an FAQ that covered every Tetris game. Like, it had sections for every single Tetris game. Unfortunately, it had barely anything to say about Tetris 2. But fortunately, it had a lot of things to say about a lot of other things. So throughout this FAQ, the writer uh, kept on talking about playing Tetris on road trips. Like, it was a frequent topic he kept on mentioning. He kept on saying, like, if you're in a car, then you got to consider this. And I took a screenshot of a section that I really appreciated. Um, I'll read it out for you right now. Tips from traveling long distances in a car while playing Tetris on a Game Boy, part one of many more to come. Oh, my God. Okay, where do I start? Oh, yeah. When you decide to play Tetris while traveling anywhere, make note of these special points. Have you got enough batteries for the entire trip? 
will you be by any chance going under overpasses, through tunnels, etc.? Trust me, this is a major one. Do you have a set of headphones? Now, why I'm pointing these things out is because they have all been major things that have happened to me. Below, I will explain in more detail why these things are important. One, batteries. Well, we all know the feeling when you're right at the good part of the game and the batteries kick it in and leave you sitting there gagging on, well, anger. Could have said many other things. Well, <laughs> well, don't be stuck with this problem. Bring more batteries than you will ever need, just in case. Two, overpasses. Don't know what these are? Well, I'll explain. <laughs> my God. Oh, my God. An overpass is like a bridge that when driving on a freeway, your car will pass under. Now note, in a game like Tetris, one millisecond is all that separates you from a perfect Tetris and misery while you bash your head on the door handle. How does this happen? Well, sometimes when you go under an overpass, there will be a shadow of the overpass. This may, oh <laughs> this may last for a brief moment or a few seconds, but that is enough time to blank out your vision of the Game Boy screen and lose a brilliant line. The best way to get around this is to make the driver, capitalized by the way, make the driver of the car or someone else that is watching the road to warn you a few seconds before that that the overpass is coming. This will allow you enough time to pause and wait. Three, headphones. Headphones, I hear you say. Well, what's more annoying, you losing a Tetris by an underpass or your other siblings annoying the crap out of you and making you lose a Tetris? The answer is your other siblings. Why? Well, by the time the overpass goes by and ruins your game, you can't turn around and thump it, but with siblings you can. <laughs> the only bad thing is that you sort of get in trouble when you hit your siblings. So the answer? Headphones. You won't hear them at all. Well, with it turned up real loud, but this will chew batteries, and this is where the extra batteries come in handy. So that's the FAQ. I can only presume that the author is no older than 14, maybe? Uh, yeah, I appreciated that. Oh, God, I love that there's a whole section on how the sun works and how shadows work, essentially. When you go under an overpass, you may be in the shadow for a few... Oh, my God, that's so bizarre. <laughs> Siblings, I hear you say. Well, let me explain what those are. Yeah, also, like, this Tetris FAQ has a guide on what overpasses are. <laughs> See, when I first read that, um, cause I saw that as well. And imagine my surprise slowly when I realized overpass wasn't actually some clever term for like when you get an eyepiece stuck horizontally over a space. I thought maybe <laughs> that's what he was trying to get at. And then it was like, oh no, he's actually talking about bridges, which even though there's a lot of questionable, uh, opinions in there, there, that is interesting in how that kind of dates that uh, FAQ, because now in the war of the overpasses, where we no longer have bridges. Um, but no, um, because like, cause, like he's kind of talking about the Game Boy <laughs> specifically, isn't he? Because talking about batteries, it's not quite as much of a concern. We have backlighting. Um, mm -hmm. Well, I'd have to say, one Christmas, I brought my Vita and Puyo Puyo Tetris to a family member's house, and I played through the entire battery life of the Vita, and then I was screwed. Damn, you should have read the FAQ. Of course, but I, there are no uh, replaceable batteries on Vita, so I would have to have brought a cable to charge with. 
Oh, I, I always bring a cable everywhere I go. I have I have cables for all of my portables just sewn into the pants of my pockets just in case. Pockets in my pants, that's what I meant. <laughs> I think that Courier Rice makes a good point, though, that this is, like, very evocative of a specific time and, like, kind of moment in someone's life, which I kind of appreciated. Yeah, it's sort of autobiographical. You clearly, this person has more than one sibling at the very least and goes on fairly frequent road trips with their own Game Boy and a pair of headphones. Like, that's that's pretty evocative. Yeah, yeah. It makes me, like, remember being a slightly surly teenager playing video games in the backseat of my mother's car while my sister constantly bothered me about things. Yeah, I've been there, too. I think it's something a lot of people can relate to. I'm just amused because in this day and age, if they were writing such a guide, well, first of all, they wouldn't be writing a guide. They would be making a YouTube video about it, and that would be even more entertaining than what what you read. Oh, God, yeah. Uh, By the way, I have actually a further dive on this guy. So in his FAQ, he mentioned uh, more than once his own website. He said, like, you can find this FAQ on Game FAQs, or you can find it on my website. So I was like, what is So I tried to find it now. It doesn't exist anymore, but I used the Internet Archive and I used the Wayback Machine on there to see previous versions of I went back to 2001 and uh, it was the website of this FAQ writer and it hosted all of his FAQs and a lot of uh, miscellaneous other things. Uh, There was a whole section on Tekken and the part that... Uh, came as a surprise to me was that in his Tekken section, there was a Tekken hentai gallery. Oh, God. Oh, no. Yep. So uh, it was no longer up. Uh, Archive.org did not decide to archive the hentai gallery. (laughs) Um, I don't know if that was an intentional choice or some uh, just way that their robots operate, probably the latter. But... um, yeah. Oh, also the site had a ton of ICQ skins and like most of his updates in his news page were about ICQ skins. So that was a fun time capsule. I do, I do want to say here that like, let's try to cut out any names of the person who made this or some, because I don't want the off chance of someone hunting this down and then dragging this person. Oh, definitely. I mean, I haven't mentioned this person's name. I don't even know this person's name, but uh, uh, like maybe maybe cut out the 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 URL mention or something. Yeah, fair enough. Uh, fair enough. So I went forward in time. I was like, whatever happened to this? And I went forward in time and I checked the last version on archive.org before the site went down, and that was in 2004. And it was completely redesigned, and it was converted to be only about coding and tech news and programming. And the hentai gallery was gone. So I think that this person maybe grew up a little bit in those three years and decided they were going to make their site a professional site, which is kind of funny because anyone could go back and see the previous versions. Embraced celibacy after acquiring to true Tetris. <laughs> Nirvana. Oh, my God. Okay. Well, I mean, that's that's a real good poetry section. I'm very happy about it. <laughs> um, okay. So our last, well, sort of last category is uh, Harmony. How did everything come together with Tetris 2? How did it it make you feel as a whole? 
Tetris 2 Harmony of Dissonance. <laughs> That's it. That's a good one. Uh, but yeah, I no, I don't think any of the pieces here, to forgive the phrasing, fit together. They don't make a perfect Tetris at all. It's very, like, the aesthetic doesn't fit, it doesn't complement it, um, the mechanics barely fit each other. It's just, like... <sighs> It's like trying to te- it's like trying to clean someone else's room. <laughs> it's like if Dr. Mario took too many of his own pills. This is the Tetris game you'd make if you were asked to design one immediately after you got a concussion. <laughs> That's a good one. Yeah, I mean it feels like the Tetris game you make when you're like, wait, what is what is good about Tetris? I don't remember. Make colors, put put blocks in, and then there's a fish. There's a fish. There's definitely fish. I love fish. The other thing that bothers me about this game is, and I mentioned a little bit earlier, is this has almost nothing to do with the look of the box art for the game, uh, especially the Japanese box art, because the Japanese box art looks amazing uh, for all platforms. And then you get into the game and it looks completely different and not cool. If they had just built on top of the aesthetic of the box art, which probably they wouldn't have done because the box art wouldn't have existed before they had made the game, um, it would have been amazing. Well, visually anyway. Describe the box art, because I don't know what it looks like. Uh, Sure. It's just a bunch of primary colored blocks, uh, red, blue, and yellow, uh, but like flat and stuff. It's very hard to describe, but it looks very good. Uh, And I would recommend anyone to go look it up on the internet. Oh, yeah. The one I'm looking at looks like it's painted on a brick wall, and it's kind of graffiti-esque. That's pretty cool. But yeah, yeah, if they'd followed that, I said, yeah, it's it's the weirdest thing about this game is that the aesthetic doesn't match how it feels. I think cleaning up somebody else's room is is really the best way to put it. It's like, they, especially with the kitschy sort of aesthetic that it has going on, um, it doesn't feel interesting. It's just like, here's a mess, fix it. The notes I have for Harmony is I feel like this is a game that was unsure of its own main mechanic. So it's, I feel like they were like, okay, we've got this color matching thing, but it's sort of a drag once you get more than a few blocks on. We need to add stuff to it to make it actually playable. So like the opposite of Tetris, where it's like this razor sharp, there's one thing you do and that's all you do. It's like, oh, well, there's flashing blocks. Oh, well, there's a line at the top that represents when your blocks come down. You know, you can split pieces off. And if, oh, here's a mechanic we haven't mentioned before because it's not explained anywhere in the game. In the manual, it tells you that if you clear six of the same color at once, it clears everything all of the tetrominoes of that same color at the same time, which is why some of the puzzles don't make any sense either, because you have to do that. It's just like you add so many things to it, and you're just like, I have this main mechanic. It's not working for a game. Let's add other shit to make it work. That's how I I feel about it. I accidentally got that to trigger once, and that's the only reason I made it past round three. (laughs) It's like, yeah, like it's accidentally discovering mechanics. Like, my wife has played this game for years, essentially, now. Like, on and off from her childhood, and then a few years ago, and then again now. And I she, I, I finally figured out why people, why she was getting fast pieces. You know, it's like, oh, it's because of the combo, and when you get three combos and you get two fast pieces, etc. She's like, oh, I didn't know that. <laughs> like, uh, it's not clear. We should clearly have brought her on here. Yeah, I, I actually offered to bring her on here. She's like, I don't want to be on a podcast. <laughs> I have things to do. I don't want to be on your podcast. 
<laughs> also that. Do we know if the manual for this game explained any of the mechanics at all? I looked it up while somebody was talking, and yeah, it seems to explain pretty much everything, um, including the water level, water line mechanic in the fish tank. So that's the one thing that it's hard in the days of emulation to kind of take into account the manual and how that did explain everything. But everybody I knew as a kid didn't read the fucking manual. So, (laughs) like, I still feel like... Yeah, it kind of feels like you shouldn't have to. I mean, it's not an Atari game. Like, Super Nintendo games were at the point where they explained things without the manual because they knew people didn't read it, you know? Even if... No, I got nothing to say in support of this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I don't want to want to drag the game. I mean, I've, I've been happy dragging the game this whole time. What am I saying? But I feel like it's, you know, Harmony is a section where we try to find something positive about it. And I guess... It's different. It's different than anything else in a lot of ways. But it's different doesn't mean good. Yep, exactly. (laughs) I think um, that aesthetically it would have been better if maybe they'd taken that sort of the Nazca drawings of the Famicom version and like that sort of mystery of the Famicom box of those blocks very close up and the one flashing one and it's like, oh, what is that? If they just like gone for a bit more esotericism in the aesthetic, made things a bit more uh, foreign and mysterious, then I think maybe that would have helped uh, a long way with this game. Would have made it a lot more palatable. I totally agree. That would have been cool. Actually, the Famicom box art reminds me a lot of Mondrian paintings, and I think they should have just like gone with that aesthetic entirely, because I love that aesthetic. Yeah, I think that the aesthetic really contributes to the frustration of this game, because... It is such a milk toast thing. You know, it's a happy home with kids and they're goofy and, it, you know, it's a fucking Marmaduke cartoon. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it just seems like when everything gets so frustrating, the the aesthetic makes you feel stupid. You know, it's like, oh, it's just a normal thing to do to have to think seven pieces ahead and make sure that everything works out just fine or you're fucked. Like, I don't know. <laughs> like there's a Medios Disney edition, but to have to go back this far and discover Tetris Flash, the Family Circus edition is is, is like exceptionally painful. Yep. Okay. Any other harmony notes? Nope. I think we're good. Excellent. Okay. So I have a, a mystery category for the end here. And I don't know how evocative this is going to be, so you have to tell me. But my mystery category this week is why? Why do people feel the need to change Tetris? Why did they dump all of this stuff on it? Like, what is going on here? It's all about the money. Yeah, that's kind of what I'd like. And, and Okay, so Tetris 2, I could not figure out who truly developed this game. Like, when you look at a couple of pages, it says that Nintendo developed the NES one and then a company called TOSE TOS uh who's developed it's like TOSE TOSE thank you they've developed like 250 games basically they, it seems like they do a lot of porting like somebody might have a better history on this than me um but they did the Super Nintendo version so it's really unclear where i don't know i just compare this to Hattress Hattress was uh Alexei Pajitnov's second 
like attempt at a puzzle game and you can see how bizarre and weird it is like he was trying to expand upon tetris in like a different way or come up with something that was more complicated this doesn't feel like it has that sort of guiding thing and i'd be really curious to find out who made this who designed this who thought this up yeah, it definitely doesn't feel like an auteur kind of project. I mean, it feels like it was designed by a committee and the committee saying like, uh, classic Supo cartoons are popular, you know, let's make it look like that. Uh, but there's no like guiding vision here. Yeah, I think the big thing that distinguishes like Tetris successes from Tetris failures is the successes t- tend to be different modes that are built on top of the existing Tetris game, whereas the failures tend to be, let's make a game with Tetris as a mechanic. And I think the ones that use Tetris as a mechanic fail because people want to play Tetris and not play Tetris as a mechanic. That's a very good way to put it, I think. It doesn't, like, using Tetris as one aspect of it is only, it's not building from a strong base. It's it's being inconsiderate to the formula using it as a as an accessory and that's already going to start poorly in uh it makes me think of games like uh sin and punishment for example this is a little far off but it's the first thing that comes to mind uh a game that was designed with the n64 controller in mind where they took the basic foundation and built from there as opposed to using a formula and trying to iterate on it uh unsuccessfully yeah, I think the idea of Tetris as an accessory is a really good way of, of sort of stating this game very simply. It feels like the Tetris part is not the basic sort of philosophy philosophy from which they developed a game. It's like, this is we're just starting with this, we're just going to add a bunch of junk to it. It's Tetris, woo you know. Um, yeah, so that's that's interesting. So that's, I guess, that's maybe why is it very evocative, but that's what I wanted to get at was like, what do you think people were thinking when they make this game? You know, I also think that development by committee feels about right. It doesn't feel like a unified vision at all. Yeah. Okay, cool. <laughs> um, I think, I think that might be it. Is this was a short podcast. Yeah, it's only an hour and a half. <laughs> so I think that's it for this podcast. Um, you know, Tetris two, it's definitely a game that you can play right now. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I guess it, before we do all of the uh, housekeeping stuff, hey, everyone, <laughs> where can people find you? Twitter, YouTube, like where, where can people find more of you? Uh, I'm Curry Rice, and you can find me as Curry Rice on Twitter. You can find me as Curry Rice on the selectbutton.net forums. And that's about it right now. I am, of course, Goddamn Milkman on selectbutton.net. I am at MagicalMatt42 on Twitter, and you can find me on YouTube at Wednesday's Serial, where I talk about comics more so than video games. I'm One Second Before. You can find me also on the select button forums as One Second Before. I also have a comedy Tumblr that I haven't updated in a long time, but I think is still worth a look, called counterfeitcontent.tumblr.com. I'm Sakarina, and you can find me on Twitter at Sakarina. That's S-A-K-U-R-I-N-A. I also do a weekly video series on YouTube where I play through every Wonderswan game chronologically, and you can find that at swansong.ws. 
which is wonderful. Um, I've been uh, Virtual Clint. You can find me on Twitter at Virtual Clint. You can find me on the select button forums as Virtual Clint. I don't change ever. Um, for updates and news about the podcast, follow at Snexploration on Twitter. So that's S and exploration on Twitter. Um, if you have questions or whatever people send to podcasts, I don't know. You can email snexploration at gmail.com. And as always, for more inane video game discussion, uh, jump into the selectbutton.net forums. You can find us all there. You can find a bunch more people. We're all very interesting, except when we're not. Um, if you want to play along, our next game is, oh God, it's a Jap Japanese only game, so I'm going to butcher it. Uh, Drift King Shutoko Battle 2. Sakura. Oh, damn. Yep. And I'm, I'm going to copy some text. Can you, can you read this for me so I don't sound even worse? Than I think you had it right. Oh, what's this? Tsuchi Akeichi and Bando Masaki. There we go. That's the subtitle. <laughs> um, I think those are race car drivers. Okay. Oh, okay. Cool. Um, so there you go. So it's a, it's, a, it's a racing game. That'll probably come out on August 12th, uh, but who knows? I'm not very consistent yet. I'm trying to get on a um, every other Saturday schedule. I think that's the best, but uh, yeah, there you go. And if you like this podcast, um, tell people. Tell people that they'll like it. Tell your friends. Tell your enemies. Tell your therapist. I said those exact same things last time, and I am just going to keep saying them because I think they're funny. Uh, review and subscribe. Rate, review, and subscribe on iTunes. Nobody, I don't think anybody's subscribing on iTunes yet, so you could be the first. You could definitely be the first reviewer. Um, but yeah, so, so so do that. And until next time, it's not Chuck Rock. Bye, everyone. Peace. Bye. Bye. <laughs> Milkman came back right at the wrong time. <laughs> oh, <man>. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let me end this recording real quick. Thanks to Schnabubula for allowing the use of his incredible song, Playing Super Mario World While Taking Mushrooms. As always, thank you for listening to the podcast. Bye-bye.